Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, listeners. It's the first S and Mast S here with a programming note. We are off next week for Thanksgiving. We'll be spending that day being grateful for, among other things, you guys. And we'll be spending part of that weekend recording a big whack of episodes to carry us merrily and brightly into 2019. And now, our show. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. 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 Yes, we do talk about songs. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. Uh, welcome to Mastass 125, which, like the temperature in Death Valley, is hot, hot, hot. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, the friendiferous Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Wow. <laughs> I will only be speaking in instrumentals from our theme songs for the rest of this episode. <laughs> well, this could be um, a long episode then. Uh, Mark, what's on our plate for today? Well, today we have a three-pack from Swedish ur group ABBA, a group that we had never talked about on the show before and recently realized was a an oversight that should be corrected. Uh, we weren't exactly sure, Sarah and I, how to address the enormity of ABBA on this show because there are so many songs on ABBA Gold, for instance, that it would ranking that episode would have taken us three Ranking that album would have taken us three months. <laughs> so when when Cher released an album of ABBA covers called Dancing Queen that was meant to tie in with her appearance in the sequel to the movie Mamma Mia, we thought, oh, okay, let's rank, let's have the patrons vote on the three songs from this album of covers that we should talk about. And then we'll also talk about the ABBA originals. So we did that and the patrons made their selections. Then we realized, huh, there's really not enough about most of these share covers that's that distinct to merit a deep conversation, although we will discuss them to some degree today. So we'll just sort of drop the share angle and then just talk about the three songs that uh, the patrons voted on. But then I thought, well, we'll pick two of these, and then there's a third that I just really like, so I'm going to put that on there. And then we thought, well, let's have a guest on because our friend and listener, Adam Grossworth, has for a long time been asking us to cover ABBA. So this was, in a way, the most roundabout way we've ever gotten to a topic. But <laughs> what we're doing ultimately is choosing three songs. The patrons helped us choose two of them. And yes, I'm happy to welcome, for the first time ever to our show, friend, listener, and all-around bon vivant, Adam Grossworth. Hello, Adam. Hello. So, Thrilled to be part of this roundabout. Well, yeah, it's the magical roundabout. So, Adam, can you talk a little bit about your history with ABBA and your history of requesting ABBA for masses? <laughs> uh, I feel like the, the latter is longer than the former. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, I should disclaim I'm, I'm in no way an ABBA expert. I'm like the most basic of ABBA, ABBA fans. Um, sometime in college, someone introduced me, a, a homosexual, uh, introduced me to ABBA Gold. It's great. Um, and I think that's that's probably most people's, you know, ABBA base. Um, I saw Mamma Mia on Broadway very early on, um, and that sort of rekindled um, my love of ABBA. Also, in between those two things would be the musical Chess, which is not technically ABBA, but was written by the two gentlemen and uh, shares a lot of musical qualities. So, um, you know, I really like all three of those things. And um, I just think that there's, a, there's a surprising amount to talk about, um, which we'll get into, like, they're weird, and they're fun. And I like them a lot. So I'm happy to get to talk about them with you guys. We are happy to have you. And Sarah, what is your relationship with Sweden's Fab Four? Um, oh, unless that's Ace of Base, but it's not. <laughs> well, but we've already talked about them. I called this episode Abattoir in my notes because I was pretty Ooh. afraid that, like, the I think the big songs, like the first three songs that most people think of, I don't care for one way or the other. So my relationship with Abba is like, you know, good for y'all. You seem to be having a lot of fun up there, and I just didn't wasn't really invested in them 
either way, did not adore them, did not despise them. Um, and for that reason, weirdly was like looking forward to this episode a lot because I wanted to be talking to people with a sort of steeped experience uh, with their music and who felt really strongly about it. And I wanted to sit with the music the way that we sit with things on Mastis when we prep, which is to sort of try to get our arms around whatever beautiful mess we're <laughs> contemplating so i'm excited <laughs> yes. to i'm excited to talk about it and in the process of preparing this episode was delighted and astounded all over again <laughs> by the other things besides me that came out of the 70s um visually just <laughs> like amazing like the choices that were made were made and were choices and i am <laughs> Baffled and delighted by them in all their camel toe-esque glory. So, but we're not here to talk about anyone's labia, I assume. Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, well, maybe not till the second song on our on our list. Um, Mark, why don't you let us know what three songs we're talking about and then get us into the first track. Sure. Although, would you mind if I shared my relationship with Ava? Oh, as no, well? I, I require it, in fact. So, like Adam, although honestly, maybe even l later than Adam, I was a late bloomer to the Ava Garden. What? You know what I mean. <laughs> I, um, I knew the song Dancing Queen only for a long, long time. I, I think and that that's song was, a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. Because that was their only number one single in America. They were much, though, although they were popular in America, they were not world-dominating popular in America the way they were literally everywhere else in the Western world. So, you know, it's pretty easy to get through your life if you're born in 78, like I was, without really hearing a lot of ABBA other than Dancing Queen. And then the movie Mamma Mia, or the, the show Mamma Mia came out, and I was like, hmm, I don't know any of those songs, so I didn't see that. And then the movie Mamma Mia came out, and by that time I had also learned the song Take a Chance on Me, which I loved, which we're not talking about today, but I loved that song. So then I saw the movie, and I was like, well, this movie was terrible, but also wonderful. And then I played a drinking game where I watched that movie a second time, and it's one of the few times in my life that my husband has consumed alcohol, like, across an entire event. So <laughs> it's clear in my mind for that reason. <laughs> and then somewhere between drinking game on Mamma Mia and eagerly rushing into the theater to see Mamma Mia to Here We Go Again, I really got into this music. And I will tell you that part of it is because I have been to the ABBA Museum in Stockholm <gasps> twice. Jealous. There is only one European museum that I have visited on two separate occasions, and it is the ABBA Museum, ladies and gentlemen. And the Ava Museum is glorious. It is, it is, Andrew and I, I feel like may have shocked the docents of the Ava Museum at how much we got into it. There is an installation in the Ava Museum where they have created a raised stage where holograms of the four members of Ava are on stage. And you run up and you stand on this little circle and you are a fifth member of Ava. And they make a video of you singing with holograms. You can choose either Dancing Queen or the song Mamma Mia. I chose Dancing Queen and performed a monologue in the instrumental break that was so well received that every single person who worked in the museum, it seemed like, came up and talked to me about it. And by the time that we were checking out in the gift shop, where naturally we bought a collection of magnets, the woman who was checking us out had seen the video of me and she had not even been downstairs. It had just that quickly made the rounds of the Abba Museum. So when I tell you that the piquant mixture of lunacy and sincerity that is Abba really does speak to me deeply, please know that that is undergirded with my deep knowledge of the Abba Museum and canon. So I went from I don't know them to I cannot get enough of them. And that is the spirit that I'm going to be bringing to the table today as we discuss the following three songs. One, Waterloo, their, initi their initial hit that broke them out worldwide. Two, Gimme, 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 A Man After Midnight. And three, One of Us, which, for reasons we'll discuss later, 
is the song that I chose to add to this mix. The patrons voted for those first two, but for that third one, I was like, we got to go slightly outside the box. So I feel like without further ado, let's listen to a clip of Waterloo and then dig deep into whatever the fuck this song is. <laughs> I'll give a little bit of background and then I will uh, toss open the conversation. Waterloo was the winner of the Eurovision Song Contest in the, uh, one of the iterations in the 70s. And it is one of the few songs from Eurovision, which is a massive song contest that takes place every year that went to become an international hit. Uh, it reached number six in America. It was a hit all over the world. This was the song that made ABBA popular. The Eurovision performance was in Swedish, but the song went on to be recorded in English, obviously, but also in German and in French. And it became the sort of calling card for a new sound of Swedish music that was being created by this group. All four members of ABBA had been individually successful in Sweden and in Scandinavia generally with folk and rock music. But with this song... They or and, and joined it together as a group, but as first illustrated by this song, they started to experiment with a more dance-oriented pop sound and less with the folk and rock music they had been making. And the rest, as they say, was abstry. Um, so, so Adam and Sarah, do, do they say that? Yeah, they should. No, stop. they will. They should. They should stop saying that. <laughs> uh, so Adam and Sarah, I, I have of course my own thoughts on Waterloo, but I'd like to hear you guys talk about it first. Uh, I pulled this clip because I felt that it encompassed everything about this song that I don't like. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. like this song. Um, and I, I'm not wow. sure why. There's a lot of parts in here that sh are usually bunt nip. As you know, I like a good rock piano. Um, I am tolerant of a yakety sax because I'm from the <laughs> 80s. Um <laughs> There is something about these lyrics, like most Ava lyrics, that is like this cheery, like fake cherry, sparkly attitude, but pretty dark ideas. And in this case, they're comparing a romantic setback to one of the most notorious military defeats in human history, um, which I think is pretty rad like we we talk a lot about um sort of contrasts between the aural narrative and the lyric narrative and how sometimes those can work and sometimes those can fall flat mm -hmm. i wouldn't say this falls flat but there's just something I don't know. There's just something about it that I don't care for. Maybe there's some like chord progression that psychologically is not my thing. I don't know. But this like it's a sort of typical 70s take on 50s diner rock thing that usually I'm fine with. And I just don't I just don't care for it here. This is a little shoutier than I like my ABBA and I don't know. Like it's it's short. It's under three minutes long. Is kind of the best thing that I can say about this one. And I <laughs> forgot that I didn't like this song, and uh, now I'm reminded. And here we all are. Adam, bail this out. Uh, well, I do love this song in part because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because the lyrics are can be difficult to parse. But I don't think it's about a romantic setback. I think it's about like you're. Uh, you beat me and I'm therefore going to love you forever. Yes. <laughs> right. It's it, this weird. It, the, and they do this a lot, right. With like, I mean, the lyrics often are a little bit English as a second language, but also like this weird pairing of 
of imagery, which is why I, it doesn't always work, but in this one, I think it works really well. Um, I don't have a deep relationship with this song. It, it's the last song on Abba Gold, um, which, as you mentioned, is endless. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think in the CD era, I just never got there because it, in between, I just, I just looked this up, in between are four songs that I don't particularly like, and so I think I would just stop before I got there. Mm. And in the iTunes era, it pops up on Shuffle, and that's fine. Um, you know, I don't want to get too into Mamma Mia, the musicals, but the the rendition of this song in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, is, like, so silly and joyful. Yes. And, like, super, super dumb. But, like, I remember sitting there in the movie theater being like, oh, yeah, I love this song because it's stupid. Um, and I think that any time that, that that movie plays into that is a success for that movie. Um, so, yeah, I just, it, it brings me joy. And I... I love the sh- a lot of the share covers are heavily auto-tuned karaoke, which I I don't actually mean as a criticism. I love them, but I really like what somewhere they Tracy Patashnik was like, "God damn it, get off of share." <laughs> Sorry, Tracy. You know we love her. Well, but this one I think works really well because it it, it is a little bit reorchestrated. It it sort of sounds like Katy Perry in the beginning. But then she keeps the saxophone because you have to keep the saxophone, and I, I really, I, I, it's one of, it's one of the better share tracks, I think, as well. Well, I can confirm that Adam IMs me and has IMed me consistently about Cher's renditions of these Ava songs, and I have IMed him back. I, that makes it sound like I'm just like accepting his IMs, but we've oh. talked about it a lot. <laughs> Here we go on again, Mamma Mia. <laughs> um, I even floated the the idea that Adam and I should go see in next year the Cher and Chic tour the here we go again tour that they're doing to support this record but uh and i concur but i, I can, got no I such instant Adam... messages hmm. go no, figure you did, man. <laughs> we know you we know our audience yes. yes we also sarah you and i were not the ones who i am about possibly seeing josh groban and adina menzel in concert either so you know <laughs> they're just there are times and that's you, you gotta okay know to hold them. yeah you got it that one we ruled out there are but lanes in which it. i have no business and those are two of them <laughs> but um adam did tell me frequently that he liked this version of this song so in case you needed independent confirmation <laughs> i, I want to just acknowledge the scene in mama mia here we go again I, again not to talk about it too much but it is so perfect because it involves them being at a french restaurant and yes i didn't notice at first that they i didn't really think about the fact that the scene is happening in a french restaurant but then, of course, when the song started, I thought, this is the entire reason it's in a French restaurant, so yep. that waiters dressed as Napoleon can do choreography <laughs> in the background. Yeah, I mean, you have to respect a production that starts at that point and finds a way to work backward to that song. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Um, I will say that, to me, the thing that you, Sarah, and I think fairly said makes you not... Well, no, that's actually not true. You you're you were not completely opposed to the ludicrous conflation of one of history's most famous defeats and a woman finally conceding that she's in love. I, like, yeah, but- no, I'm not opposed to that at all. It's just like with this particular arrangement of the track, for yeah, whatever reason, yeah. it's like I I would like to I would like to hear these lyrics in a different setting. Totally. Yeah. But I just love... Once the, again, paging Tracy Patachak. There's a certain... Um, and Alison Krauss, because it's been a while since we made her do something. Yeah, hey girl, we got a job, we got a job for you. There's such, a, there's such a blithe confidence required to say, I'm finally facing my Waterloo. And Andrew, my <laughs> husband, and I have talked about this for what feels like 90 minutes the last time we were at the museum, <laughs> where we were like, I'm finally facing my Waterloo. It's like so deliciously arrogant and i love it so much and i however agree with sarah that this is not really an abba song that i'm going to leap for first i think i like it more than sarah because if i'm in an abba mood eventually this song will get played depending on the length of the session but this song feels like abba juvenilia which it is and I feel like they are experimenting with and starting to master certain things that they get better at later. And the, the, it's the later ABBA songs that always get me hopping, uh, which I feel like is a pretty good way to transition. You could, you could into... call it their 
adolescent output? Oh, yes, you could. And here's the thing. You shouldn't. Abba would probably be into that. (laughs) Because you cannot be too cheesy for an Abba song. It's one of the great reliefs and freedoms of being a fan of this music. Because there are legitimate feelings of heartbreak in there, as you've already talked about. But I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like one of the things that makes Abba's music nice is the whole package around it is like so achingly, cloyingly sincere, but also (laughs) so tuneful and danceable that it's like there's it's there's no point in feeling shame or guilt. They've just decided to eschew taste from the beginning. (laughs) So let's just be free and not worry about it. I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. And so with that in mind. I would like to now take us to the story of a woman who is so desperate to get boned that she stops watching a late night talk show, opens the window to her home in the autumn, and basically screams into the night, who's got a dick? (laughs) Also known. (laughs) Also, those lyrics, those images are all drawn from specific references in the lyrics. Uh Uh, And now we're going to hear a little clip from Gimme, 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 parentheses, a man after midnight. Um, this is actually a pretty big clip because this song Crazy. contains D multitudes, and <laughs> I felt that we needed to hear most of those yes. multitudes. Here we go. I love this song. Let's just let's just get that straight right now. Uh, no complaints from I, me. I can't get enough. This I couldn't really get in the full extent of the melodrama at this sequence, which is then followed by I'm not sure why, but there's this like dead time in the song that's like Mm -hmm. 45 seconds long where it's like they're just waiting for the dj to like either transition into disco inferno or do some kind of remix or be like everybody on the floor like the third place winner in our contest and then tony (laughs) venero storms out and then his friend falls off the bridge and we all know the rest of the story anyway yeah. This song is. We talked about the soundtrack. The song is bonkers, <laughs> and if you watch the video, the way it's cut together, it's like the segment of behind the music where you're about to go into the commercial break before they all like one of them dies and the rest of them go to rehab, and it's like this crazy cutting, and they're all like on stage, and they're like they look happy, but they're shot like. They do the pan and scan at this kooky angle that implies impending doom. And the song is basically like, well, God damn it. My vibrator's out of batteries. It's 1214 in the morning and the bodega is closed. And it's 1979. What to do? Let's open a window and yell, who's got a dick? <laughs> it is, and yet it's also sort of dark like there's this good time super dark good time girl slash self-loathing self-destructive thing but it's a top five all-time chair dancer too like this is everything crazy about abba when it's all working like all of the cylinders are firing and it's it's interesting that we listen to this after like right after waterloo where it's like that also has a ton of abba elements like sort of stereotypical elements but that one 
doesn't work for me. And this one is we're out of our adolescence and into mature ABBA. And that really works for me. Um, this video has a lot of anatomically correct costumes, though. Just warning. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Um, but it's it's so great. This is far and away my favorite of the songs that we listened to this week. It's great. Adam. This is my second favorite ABBA song. Um, it's my favorite Cher ABBA cover. It's my favorite Erasure ABBA cover. I fucking love this song. Um, and I think, I mean, it's, it is peppy, but it's actually sort of manic and desperate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy, to, it's easy to listen to the chorus and think, you know, it's a club song, um, right? That she, she's out at the club trying to find a man, but she's not. She never leaves the house. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Like the verses, it's just her being lonely and sad and desperate. And I, it's so interesting. It's so interestingly constructed. I, I love that the beginning of the first verse, the movie stars at the end of the rainbow, it sounds like a non sequitur, but it's actually continuing. Cause in the first verse, she's watching, watching the late show, which I think at this time in Europe would be a movie, not a talk show though. My brain always goes to talk show as well. Um, right. And like, she's just sitting home watching a movie and she's like, Oh, those people look so happy. And I'm so sad. Like it's weird. And I yes. really, I really love and it, and especially the, for Abba. And the pace of it is just like, it's like a little bit too fast. Like, it's like they recorded it, and then it was sped up like a, just a, yeah, like a well, one thirty second of a beat. And it's like, that there's something about this that is definitely, like, it's desperate. It's well, And like the, the intro, the guitar, like, sounds really broody and dark. And then the doodly-doo part starts. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah. What's happening? Which is the signature. Um, and, the, you know, that's why Madonna's a genius, because that's the yeah, hook that she I, hooked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I love that. I love the guitar line more, even though I, I understand why that's less sampleable. Um, yeah. I just love it. And I think, you know, for ABBA's lyrics, English lyrics could be troublesome. And <laughs> I I think these are great. Like, I think, I think they actually totally nailed it. The syntax could be a little weird, but that sort of adds to the... The, the storytelling for me. I think this would be a great really... montage song for someone getting murdered on the deuce. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. If that ever happens, please let me know because I gave up on the deuce after three episodes. So did I. So deuce watchers, wow. let us know. Listeners. We were deuce droppers. Oh, sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> so I feel like Adam, you really hit the nail on the head with the, strangeness of how the narrator of this song is so still really but the song is so wild and it's this kind of lovely evocation of how you can be sitting watching tv but inside your ass is churning when you're about to drop a deuce god sorry (laughs) that's that's on me that is on me sorry (laughs) (laughs) i hope not literally on you oh my god stop you can take a dump dump on my face so the the churn <laughs> the emotional the emotional churn you can feel while you're watching a movie and thinking i wish my life were like that is really something that's true and i feel like it's very swedish to have this mixture of lightness and darkness it's very girl who called for d in the night in the spider's web <laughs> with the dragon tattoo <laughs> um, and this song is so great because of all of the reasons that you just mentioned uh i also love that it is so clearly a blueprint for so much of the swedish pop music that has come since i mean you hear robin in here you hear certain Roxette songs in here you hear ace of bass in for here. Sure. you hear max martin in here i mean i feel like this song plus uh donna summer's i feel love are sort of the the ground on which so much contemporary electronic music is built. And I just feel like this is the reason this song among others is the reason that ABBA is important because they found this ability to tell these complicated stories with music that you can listen to in an uncomplicated way. And that's such a brilliant thing to be able to pull off. And I think it's also one of the reasons that for a long time, really, ABBA was completely dismissed because people incorrectly thought that the ability to dance and let your mind go and not think about anything meant that the music itself was thoughtless. 
and they I feel like that Abba got shat upon in that whole disco sucks uh, era and its aftermath. And I'm glad that culturally people figured out that there's really a lot more going on. And I have this whole theory, too, which I'm sure I've espoused in one of the 124 other episodes of this podcast that people hated disco because it was too gay female and non-white yes and and i feel like the, the song like this is exactly what makes certain people uncomfortable because it gives a lot of emotional power and sonic urgency to a woman's feelings and I just really love it for all of those reasons mm-hmm. and the fact that it's got a great beat and I can dance to it. Well, and, I, well, and the erasure version. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I just was going to say, I don't know that much about, like, it's not like I have a sort of master's in Scandi cultural psychology, but I think that there is a, there's a sort of grand unifying theory to be crafted about um, the deceptive simplicity of this kind of thing from uh, Swedenland, um, including Ikea. Like, I- I'm just going to say that, like, <laughs> there's, like, it's deceptively, you know, it's easy to dismiss because it's cheap and boxy, but it's also workable, portable, buildable at home, and has its beauty. And has its adaptability, which is another thing that you could say about ABBA, because I think they're covered constantly. I think they might Mm be, they're probably one of the most sampled groups of all time. Well, actually, interestingly, the only, there have only been two songs that have legally sampled ABBA music. One is Hmm. a Fuji song, and then the other is Madonna's Hung Up. Hmm. So I feel like their sound is everywhere, but their music is very rarely picked up and carried over into other tracks. So it's, but I think the fact that things sound like ABBA samples is just an indicator of how influential the ABBA sound is. Yeah. And speaking of covers, the, um, so Erasure did a whole EP called ABBA-esque. And the version of this that I have is not from that. It's actually a live version which opens with one of the guys saying i believe in german possibly swedish uh you know and now a little abba and the crowd goes insane and then they sing an acapella intro of a little bit of money 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 you know if i got me a wealthy man Mm -hmm. i wouldn't have to work at all and then launch into a fairly like straightforward cover of this um right so they're taking the two most desperate abba songs (laughs) and mashing them up and of course they don't change the pronouns like even in the 80s like erasure was like no we're totally gay and it's so good, and it and I think what you were saying about disco, you know, being female and queer, like it really tracks onto that where they just fully make it a gay anthem, sort of. Yes, uh, it's great. Well, and you've just reminded me that the reason I learned the song "Take a Chance on Me" was because I was really into Erasure in college and yeah. heard their version of "Take a Chance on Me" with that crazy rap breakdown in the middle by that woman, which I love. Um, that. Erasure actually got me back and got me to ABBA in some ways. I think that happened for a lot of people because Gold and ABBA-esque were around the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, oh. Sarah, I want to also go back to a point that you were making about um, Swedish things looking simple, but if, having depth. If if I may, is that a? do you feel like that's an accurate paraphrase? Uh, yeah. Or that they seem... Well, yeah. That it seems like one simple, simple, single thing, but then it's actually like its very simplicity allows it to be many more things. Yes, because, okay, that's when you say that, it reminds me again of what I had thought. Ibsen, the playwright, is not from Sweden. He's from Norway. But I think there's something Scandinavian about this that we can extrapolate to the whole uh, uh, area. Ibsen's realistic plays seem like, on the surface, like they are photorealistic almost, that there's almost like an effort to be naturalistic in them. But if you dig a half inch below the soil, you find that they're actually filled with cosmic battles between gods, Vikings, trolls, like all of his naturalistic, all of his seemingly realistic plays are actually built on this cosmic foundation and I feel like there's something about that that applies to Ikea and to ABBA 
really. It's just that there's something about Scandinavia where it's it's got this beautiful order that is so pleasing, and then just beneath the order is this crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> or or depth or utility with regard to ikea i don't think that there is actually a cosmic uh crisis happening underneath the hemness bookshelf that I'm oh there is right well now. but it's oh, like well. you know it's whatever land of the midnight sun so it's like look at this you know very pleasing very minimalist gray window shade that can roll or fold like how how clever and beautiful and simple and almost zen, but it's right. light twenty two and a half hours a fucking day, so that shit better work. And then you think about like all of these people, like how how do we block out the sun and the sort of craziness that proceeds from the from the days that basically don't end or like end and then another one immediately starts. And yeah. there is something psychologically. Like when I was taking a Japanese Buddhism class in college and our professor was like, there are things that because you're not Japanese, you're just never going to get about this. Like intellectually, factually, you will learn these things and you will regurgitate them in papers, but you're not going to really get them because you're not from. You're not from there and you don't you don't live it. So I th I think that's true of this, too, that it's like. You know, yeah. the sun comes up, the sun goes down. There's space in between those things. It's not all that cold, usually. We don't have reindeer. It's just different. It's different. But it's interesting to think about. And uh, hopefully listeners who are better informed than I will, uh, will point us to evidence in either direction about our grand unifying theory of ABBA, well, IKEA, and the Swedish cultural psyche. Well, you're reminding me of when I was in Finland a few years ago and the sun never went down and Andrew and I got up at like one o'clock in the morning and just looked outside and it was the afternoon. And if we were only in Finland for like a week and that shit was enough to make me start to feel like I was crazy. Yeah. So I really think there's something to that. Kind of like when I was in Norway and I was surrounded by those incredibly impressive uh, mountains, especially in the area of Bergen, Norway. And I realized, oh, right. No wonder all of Ibsen's plays are talking about the, the crazy cosmic forces in the mountains, because I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I feel like there's probably an ogre that could destroy me living up there. I, I buy that. Yes. So, but yes, as Sarah says, listeners, if you are more intimately aware with what it's like to be a Scandi, please let us know. There, but uh, there's Adam, definitely there's definitely oh. something about like place informing art. I mean, I think my husband was the one who was like, "You only have to drive like lengthwise across Nebraska once to understand seventy five percent of what Sam Shepard was up to." And it's like, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of uh, space out there, a lot of empty places. Adam, we have yes. to let you talk for a minute. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, I've never been to Scandinavia, and I don't care for Ibsen, but uh, I do love Ikea, and I hear that Mamma Mia 3 is going to be based on Pierre Gint, so oh. you know, you're right on. That's not true, but now I want it to be true. I totally believed you. You should have stuck that landing, because I was like, oh, really? Word. <laughs> I was seriously like, wait, I should go Google that, but then I actually thought Adam would have IM'd me about that if that were true. <laughs> seriously. interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you a note from our deputy cultural attache department of yiddish theater history and preservation soikis f paynut professor paynut <clears throat> a letter to the fine people behind a podcast the this podcast cross out named mast ass that would be to the nice young gentleman named Mark Blankenship and dear Miss Bun ing In regards, RE, to a previous episode on the collection of songs 
attached to a film strip named Footloose. I heard my name referenced, which aroused me from a deep sleep and left a lingering question. The kind of question that weighs on one like a bucket of fish attached to the ankle. If we are to describe one's feet as loose, as spoken of in the title song Footloose, is this a good thing or a bad thing? This particular picture is about kids who are not allowed to dance. If their feet are loose, does that make it easier for them to dance or prohibitive to keep them from dancing? Recall, I come from a time when loose feet, or to have a foot loose, was probably the result of a granary accident. Yours truly, Soikis Paynut. Herr Paynut, thank you so much for your letter and our condolences on what appears to have been a rather severe fountain pen incident during the addressing of the envelope. Your epistle about episode 120 took some time to reach us, but arrived in an opportune moment as we are in the midst of contemplating the works of a band perhaps best known for a tune called Dancing Queen. I don't wish to speak for Herr Blankenship, but Ms. Bunting, or as I would be known in the old country, Frau Fink, has for many years now suffered from a mishealed broken ankle that makes full Charleston rotation nigh on impossible. So, in my estimation, footlocity is a good thing. I hope this puts your mind somewhat at ease. Uh, listeners, we welcome such questions from all of you. Not just those among you filing dispatches from a strange old book-scented pocket between the veils of time. And speaking of time, the one to resume this episode has come. But if you would like to send us a, an email, uh, song requests, birthday reading requests, metatextual musings on the nature of film titles, our email is talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so that brings us to track three. <laughs> this is the song, as I mentioned before, that I chose because I just think that one of us, uh, which is, again, the lead single from their last album called The Visitors, is, to me, a really great song. It is the album, it is from the album that is about the divorce of the two couples because ABBA was comprised of two men, two women. They were married, and then they all got divorced, and then they released this album. And I felt like that this was the most interesting share cover because she did the most to change the original song. And finally, I just love the concept of and the lyrics in the clip we're about to hear. So let's roll that. Okay, so I love the lyrical 
idea here, which is that a woman who felt like she was trapped in a relationship that was keeping her hidden from the world and I'm a diamond in your covering me with a blanket or whatever (laughs) realizing oh actually i was an immature asshole and i thought i was all that when actually i'm not maybe even a bag of chips and i really fucked up and i was an idiot and i'm really sorry i think that is an interesting point of view to take in a song we don't i feel like hear that particular iteration of regret in songs very often so i like it i also love lyrically in the chorus that not once but twice the lyrics uh, have a rhyme that comes in the middle of the next sentence. So one of us is crying, one of us is lying in her lonely bed, right? That seems that that's like the lying comes in the middle of that sentence. And then they do it again. One of us is lonely, one of us is only waiting for a call. And that type of structural parallelism is very impressive to me because it tells you that there was intentionality there. And it's not just that the lyricist was like, oh, lonely, it's fine, only, great. It's There's actually was a, a consciousness in crafting a complete thought in the story of this chorus. And pop music does not always have that. And I just think it deserves to be respected because the, one of the reasons I think that Mamma Mia, the musical, works is that these songs very often have playable actions in them you can actually act as a character in a song that gives you this much stuff to go through on the intellectual journey from the start of the chorus to the end okay that's my thought on one of us panelists uh i'm gonna go first very quickly and then throw to adam who brought us a contrasting clip from share um i like this song but I had to listen to it twice because the first time through, I couldn't figure out what the sort of synthy um, through line was reminding me of. And once Mm. I figured out that it was Julian Lennon, I was able Mm. to, you know, put that in a box, put that in the back of my mental closet and move on with my analysis. Um, This song, I think the delivery of it is like, so painfully beautifully sincere just like this contemplation Mm. of the shambles that you thought you were leaving behind but that you actually created as mark was talking about there's something about just the physical tempo that is not quite right like it needs to be either slower or faster but it's Mm. it's a good song i like it i don't think i had I remembered I didn't remember the song and I'm not sure I'd ever heard it before and I like it and I responded to it especially once I was like oh this you know Julian Lennon has definitely heard the song because it shows up in both (laughs) of his of his big hits I feel um but it yeah like there was just something about the pace that was like Mark what year was this released 80 81 80 somewhere in yeah, the early it early has 80s. that feel of like it's it's sort of caught between um like the moon in new york well, city sort of if the moon is like that disco pace and and beat and then new york city is like that more wmst moist fm paul davis um fogelberg pace where like it's definitely very synthy and produced but it's also like a schmear of self-pity on the bagel of fm radio (laughs) um it's sort of caught in between that which a lot of songs were and that's not like a disqualifier or anything just i would i would be interested to hear different tempos of this and i think we are about to adam talk to us yeah before we get to share um I mean, I think everything you both, I agree with everything you both said, um, especially Mark about the storytelling here. Um, this song is in that, that last quarter of gold that I never listened to, but um, it's in the original Mamma Mia, the stage version. Um, Donna sings one verse and one chorus, um, and it's right before SOS, and they cut it from the movie, uh, which allowed them to then use it really well, I thought, in the second movie. Like, I, as a musical theater song, I think it works great. That one verse and chorus is kind of all I want of it, though. I I kind of hate it. Um, <laughs> it's I, it's like everything 
bad about ABBA, and I don't think there's that much that's bad about them, but, like, I hate that bass line. I hate when they get folky. Um, and, like, for everything I said about the the tone of Gimme, 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 but, you know, that I love a peppy, sad song, it doesn't work for me here. Like, there's there's a mismatch between hmm. the lyric and the, the overall tone of it, I think. Hmm. that, And it's interesting to me that this is late ABBA because it, it, it sounds like, to me, like they don't understand what they're singing in English, which I think by this point probably was not true. Um, but I really dislike it. But I think it's the most successful of the share covers, even though it's still not my favorite, but in terms of bringing something new. Um, so why don't we play that clip, which I didn't even realize was the same, basically the same clip. Oh, nice. Yeah. like the sharest that clip. right and it's <laughs> i love how spare the arrangement is it's so simple and i feel like she's really acting it in a way yes. that actual abba is not so much um and it's really sad i i really like it i mean i still i find it a little dull like it goes on for a while though in at the end when the chorus repeats she puts like five syllables into the word instead which i, I adore <laughs> um oh, yeah i Cheryl. i just think it's it's so superior, the share version. Yeah, this is a this is more a f- like felt tempo. Like I I think there's a sort of medium tempo disco holdover thing happening in the original that is not present here. And while this is like definitely lavender curtains blowing, full Vaseline lens, ziggurat o cheese. That's <laughs> what it's. Supp- I think that's it. The soul of the song. Like the the lyrics are, you know, dimensioned and clever, but yes, the the emotion is camembert, camembaba. <laughs> so she, I mean, Cher steers into that, which is what, which is also the soul of Cher. So, yeah, I I also prefer the Cher version slightly. Like I think the harmonies, of course, are much better and more beautiful on the original but right this i think gets what the i think this version of the song is more is more the song like it's more Mm. what it's trying to do huh you know i hadn't anticipated this when i uh selected this for the discussion but i'm glad that we talked about this because i think this is a song that demonstrates that abba does create interpretable material that their songs are sturdy enough to be toyed with and reinterpreted and reconceived. And uh, that's nice. Yeah, it's not just like candy corn where you're like, you like it or you don't like it. Yeah. Like the, there are versions of one of us that maybe all of us would like more than either of the versions. So this is what Alison Krauss needs to record is this song. <laughs> um, why not all of Abba Gold? In addition yeah. to the, Great. I'm going to say, 21 other tracks, we need to start charting yes. the Alison Krauss references. Yeah, seriously. We really do. And then, honestly, when when we have episode 200, if we can just get her in to just perform a set, oh my god, amazing. Yeah. Listeners, if we band together, we can make it yes. happen. Yes, Six Degrees of Alison Krauss. Um, Adam, you mentioned earlier that Gimme, Gimme, Gimme was your second favorite ABBA song. I'm curious, what is your number one favorite? Uh, the Winner Takes It All is my number one favorite, um, which is weird because I'm not usually into their ballads, but I think it's it's a perfect ballad. Um, and, and as we've been saying, like it, it really, it's like a whole one-act play in that song. Um, yeah. And it works so beautifully in Mamma Mia, which is you know, goofy. I mean, we were talking earlier about Waterloo, both, both Mama's Mia, like they know their tone. Mama's Mia. God bless you. <laughs> TM Glenn Weldon. They know, they know their tone really well. They know, you know, they know it's goofy and it's a goofy endeavor to make an ABBA jukebox musical. But then they hit, they, the first one hits this emotional point. Um, perhaps less so when Meryl Streep is singing it. <laughs> Fantastic actor though she is. But, and it, and it, 
when I saw that show on stage, you know, it's it's actually it's funny. Like Sam literally says like something like Donna, we have to talk, and she like turns around and goes, I don't want to talk, and it's it's funny. And the audience laughed. And then by the end of the song, nobody was laughing because that song is really fucking sad. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just, I've, I've loved it. I've really loved it ever since seeing, seeing the play. But it's, the original is, is my favorite as well. Mm. It's also worth noting that Meryl Streep and Cher were co-stars in the movie Silkwood, both yeah. receiving Oscar nominations. And they have both now recorded versions of The Winner Takes It All. That is true. So, um, my personal favorite ABBA song is Knowing Me, Knowing You. I was so glad that that showed up in the second movie, Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. Uh, I just think that that, the chorus to that song is so satisfying. And the breaking up is never easy, I know, but we have to go. I just love the sound of that song. And uh, I also love the part where they go, "Uh uh-huh. Because, again, only someone like Abba would be like, yeah, let's just do uh-huh, and why not? The other thing I want to make sure I mention, um, we've made references a few times to their outfits. And in the basement of the Abba Museum, there is a massive collection of their clothes, which you can see up close. And I learned through the museum that Abba received, well, not just Abba, artists in Sweden in the 70s could receive tax credits and reimbursements for clothes that were worn exclusively as stage costumes, be this on uh, stage in plays, musicals, rock concerts, whatever. So if your clothes could pass as streetwear, the government of Sweden would not pay you for them. But if they could only work as performance wear, oh, that then makes you got so your much th- sense. money. Everything. So it's actually like, it's actually people being kind of cheap. Like th- there's a certain like frugality in the fact that they wear clothes with like sequin cats on them and shit. Huh? Socialism, ladies and germs, it works. <laughs> well, this was really fascinating and a delight. And I mean, I, I feel, uh, I feel fonder of ABBA generally now that we've taken this deep dive complete with included Alan wrench into, (laughs) into the psyche of ABBA. I love this conversation. I feel like both of you said things that pushed my thinking into a different direction about this music in particular, but also music of this time in general. So yeah. I loved it. And Adam, thank you so much for being our guest for this conversation. Thank you for having me and for letting me browbeat you into doing an episode. And uh, when Alison Krauss returns for episode 200, uh, we hope that you will consult on her, on her playlist. Always. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs.
talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.